everybody. Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 225. Uh, and I love the fact that it's 25 in the number because this is Christmas week on the 25th of December, celebrating the birth of Jesus and all the festivities. And so that's just awesome. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, this time of year, many layers for many different reasons. Um, now, most listen to this podcast, a few watch. And those who watch, you might see kind of behind me here, there's like this weird sheet of cloth. It's covering presents because my office here at the house has become Santa's workshop, apparently. And so uh, below my feet is paper and bows and ribbons and different wrapping kind of paraphernalia. And like, really, if, if you just kind of were able to stand in my office, you'd be like, wow, Christmas exploded in his little space there. So, um, but we're getting it underway and everything else. Going to have a great time uh, going into uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, having all the family come over here to the house on Christmas Eve, because uh, my wife is actually working a shift on Christmas Day at the hospital, and uh, so we're going to do everything on Christmas Eve. Going to have a Christmas Eve candlelight service at Redemption Church down at the hub on the uh, gravel parking lot, and so if you're freed up at 5 o'clock, it's going to be just a simple little thing. I'm going to read the entire Christmas story. Uh, and we're just going to have some great traditional Christmas worship songs, and it's going to be all candlelight, and it might even be snowing, according to the National Weather Service, which would be just super rad if that happened. Uh, and so anyway, things are going on there. Now, today, the podcast is not terribly long, necessarily, Um not dealing with anything that I think is uh, culturally scandalous. There's no uh, calling out of anybody today. Not directly. I'm going to let Mary do that instead because what I want to read to you right now uh, is something that I think is really profound. And it's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And we call it Mary's Magnificant. And really what it is is this moment of worshipful reflection on the part of Mary uh, after being uh, recruited by the Holy Spirit to be the one that would bring forth Jesus into the world. She would carry him. She would be his earthly mother in that sense. Uh, and, you know, you think about that story. I mean, I, I know we sentimentalize these things sometimes, and it's kind of this quaint little, you know, like, oh, how sweet that was or whatever else. But, but again, you kind of put it back into the world of the first century and a Jewish culture. You know, the way God is doing this uh, will be hard on the players, the B, you know, it's like they're a very uh, purist culture when it comes to sexuality. And now God is going to basically uh, do something that's going to mar the reputation of this young woman in the community. Uh, and she knows the magnitude of that. She knows that there's this potential that her fiancé will break off their relationship. She knows that she may be alone. She may, knows that she may be a source of shame for her family. Uh, her sense of character will be completely gone, and she will not be seen as a woman of character in any way. And yet she has the most character in the story because God's asking her to do an incredibly difficult thing of great sacrifice – and she's like, I'm the Lord's servant. Do with me, me what you want to do, right? And and I think that's a really profound just little nugget of the story, just the fact that it's odd that God would choose such a kind of broken-looking way of doing this, that he would choose something that would look so scandalous and almost would 
you would think would get in the way of what his mission is, right? Like in, instead of it being like, hey, Jesus came into the world through a family that was well-respected through well-respected means, it instantly looks broken. It's not, but it looks broken. And I think that's the thing I continue to come back to when I think about the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus. I love to say it's upside down and backwards. And and I think what you find throughout the story of like the Gospel of Luke, for example, where we're going to read the Magnificent, what you see is this consistent pattern of God trying to disrupt what we value and give us a different set of values and to say what you esteem, I don't esteem. And what you should esteem are the things that I genuinely and deeply esteem in this world. And you need to get on board with my plan, right? And so that's what you see consistently throughout the Gospel of Luke. And in this song that Mary sings or prays or whatever, um, there's some things in there that highlight just how upside down and backwards uh, this whole thing that that God is doing in the person of Jesus, like how radically different it is. And from that, it just gives us that sense of reminder of we need to learn to care about what God really cares about. And we need to learn to let go of the things that we tend to want to care about. The God's like, that just gets you in your way. That just actually gets you distracted or diverted from real kingdom things. And and this is a learning process, right? Like life is all about growth and learning and adaptation and development. And hopefully in that process, we're growing more in grace, more in humility, more in long suffering and love. We're growing in the fruit of the spirit, hopefully over the course of our lives. Uh, and that just comes from trying to play off the, 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 the script that God has written for our lives and how we're to live things. And so Mary kind of embodies this. And when she says this series of statements, um, there's some things in there that are really beautiful. And we go, that's so great. And there's some things in there that we should stop and go like, wow, I should reflect on that more. What is that trying to say to me? And and, and here's the thing today. I'm, I'm not going to tell you what I think these things should say to us. I just want to read it. And, and maybe I'll just give a little bit of my own personal reflection on on why this stands out to me so much. Now, one of the things I think is kind of funny about this particular song is um, there are some like more Christian pop styles that that have taken this song and, and kind of run with it a little bit. Um, but it's funny how they tend to cut off the bottom half of the song, right? Like, because there's some stuff there where you're like, ooh, that doesn't sing well in church. So uh, just they kind of stop at like verse 50 or whatever of chapter one. And uh, yet the whole thing is incredibly uh, deep and rich and a great reminder of, again, figuring out how to value what God values and letting go of some of the values that we tend to hold, especially as American Christians, uh, because it's embedded into our American consciousness, some of these values, whether we want to or not, we we are kind of immersed in those things, and this just sort of disrupts some of that. And so here's what Mary says. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of a servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now I'm going to stop right there for a minute because that's the section where you'll hear the songs about Mary's Magnificent. This is the stuff we love to really focus on and say, yes, he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. But 
But again, he, he's looked on her and said, I'm asking you to do a hard thing, a sacrificial thing, something that will make you look bad in the eyes of others, but you will look good in my eyes, right? Like, she understands this. She gets this. She knows there's risk. She certainly was fearful at the beginning of the story when the angel approaches her. She has all these questions, right? But she settles into the fact that, you know what, if God's called me to do this, even though it seems so strange and upside down from the way that anybody would even picture the story rolling out, she still has this this sense of my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I trust you, even though this thing you're asking me to do is very, very hard and will require a, a lot of kind of uh, equity of, of my life, but I'm going to do it. And you have treated me and seen me as worthy to do such a thing, right? It's really beautiful. Then she says, going into verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now, it's that last part that I think is just one of those moments where when you really think about it, and you're not just reading it as poetry or as a song or as a prayer, but but you go, this shows what Jesus is all about. This foreshadows this idea of what he's going to value, right? He's taking the proud and he's scattering them in the thoughts of their heart. So he's just saying, you know what, every, everybody who has the pride of life, everybody who has a proud disposition, a proud demeanor toward the world, toward others in themselves, he's like, I'm working to dismantle that pride. There is no room for pride in the kingdom that I'm building in this world. It's sometimes why I, I get concerned that we think uh, the, the some of our best leaders in the church or outside of the church are the ones that are the most bombastic. Like we we really esteem leaders that you know have this sense of swollenness about them. And, and yet God's like, no, that's not how my kingdom's built. It's not built on the backs of the proud, but rather it's going to be those who are humble, of humble estate. Those are the ones that he exalts. It's not those who have power and thrones and wealth. He says, no, I'm, 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 I'm saying that is not in my equation, but rather it is those who are hungry. He will fill them with good things. The rich he's going to send away empty. And again, in our culture, we esteem wealth, we esteem power, we esteem some sense of, of, of leadership positions or leading types of things that we go, that's where the real value is. But those who are the opposite of that are maybe seen as lesser than. Or even in some cases, we, we look at the poor or we look at the homeless or we look at the needy and we almost look at them at times with disdain right? Like they're a blight on our city or they're a problem to be dealt with. And yet what Mary is saying is those are the ones that Jesus cares about. Those are the ones that God is working for. Those are the ones that the spirit is to lay on our hearts in love and a sense of heaviness because that is who Jesus is coming for. That is who Jesus came for. And if he has that value system, right? He's pulling down the mighty. He's elevating the lowly. He's feeding the hungry, but he's turning away to the fed. Like that should give us some pause, right? To say, what do I care about the most? What do I value the most? Am I 
Am I putting his priorities first? Could I, could I sing Mary's song here and it would be the song of my heart? Or do I look at this song and I go, some of that is just, that's not very American. <laughs> that's, it's not very capitalistic. That's not very, uh, climb the corporate ladderish to me, right? Like that, how do we read this? How do we interpret it? I don't want it just to be, again, the sentimental, quaint little song and we go, oh, how nice that was. What a beautiful Christmas melody. No, it's saying something about what God values, right? And he values it so much that his son comes into the world to embody it and to uh, get behind those that it speaks about. And if that's his priority, then how much it is to be then our priority and that we would grow in that priority, right? That we would really embody the Christmas spirit because when you read the Christmas story, what it's really all about is humility and the lowly and the servant and the willingness to put others before self in all the characters. That's what you see. And it's again, showing this inversion of the value system, the God saying what we most respect in this world is not what he most respects. What he respects is these types of people here, right? The lowly, the humble, the hungry, the broken, because those are the greatest of the kingdom. Those are the ones that are most reliant on God. Those are the ones who see their broken state and they cry out to God. And God's like, yes, I hear you in that brokenness. But when we're independent, when we're powerful, when we're self-reliant, when we value those types of things even, well, maybe that's where we're being more earthly than we are kingdom. And so this Christmas season, as we reflect on this entire story, of Mary and Joseph and sweet little baby Jesus, right? It's telling us a deeper story, a deeper story about the things that God really cares about, the things that God elevates and the things that God pries down and tears apart and wants to break away out of our lives. And And I think the more we can own and understand these things and the more we can be in the rhythm and flow of what Jesus prioritizes, I think from that, we will be really effective everyday missionaries.